Please teach us your word this morning. May you be glorified, Lord, and may we, your people, be edified as we study your word to learn it, to know it, and to live it as you be praised. In Jesus' name, Lord, amen, amen. Okay, so this morning I'm doing these, this series on God uses unlikely people. Let me just make sure I'm on the right. Let me just get this off of the screen here a second. Okay, all right. So I'm doing this series on God uses unlikely people. How many of you consider yourself a part of that category of unlikely? Unlikely, I, I do. Unlikely that God would use little old Mamie Robinson's son from Akron, Ohio, that God would use any of us that God would use us, that God would choose us, that God would save us, that God would select us, that we would not only be called, but chosen by God. All of us are in that category, even if you're not in the Bible. How many, how many, who, who here has a name that's in, any of y'all's name in the Bible? Anybody? Okay, so there, yeah, there's a Mary's. Is your name? Yeah, of course your name is in the Bible, Elizabeth. I'm sad that there were no willies. I looked for one. <laughs> I looked for a willie. I said, God, did you love me? <laughs> You're that sister. Oh, Lily, yeah, Lily, right. Okay. Absolutely, yeah. A lot of names. Mary, Rose. Yeah, a lot of you. Uh, that's right. A lot of your names were in the Bible. Absolutely. Rick, was your name in the Bible? Joe, all right, all right. He made he made about his skin of his teeth, but he's in there. <laughs> he might be an old testament prophet, but he still made the cut. <laughs> no, that's good. I'm just kidding. I just love the fact that God just uses ordinary people. The guy I'm gonna talk about this morning, we don't even know the dude's name. We don't know that he had a name that was published. And so I want you to turn real quick to 2 Samuel chapter 18. 2 Samuel chapter 18, verse 19. And here's what it says in the New American Standard. Then Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok, said, please let me run. Let me just give you the context real quick. Let me give you the context. Okay, here's what's happening. Here's what's happening. You all listening? Okay, let me make sure I'm on. All right, good. Here's what's happening. David had a son by the name of Absalom. Dude lost his mind. Dude just lost his mind. His half-brother raped his sister. And instead of him just dealing with it and maybe having his half-brother arrested or whatever, he killed him on his own, plotted his murder for over a year, killed his half-brother, which was David's son, killed him. It was, it, uh, the son's name was Amon, I think it was. Anon or Amon, yeah. Killed him, killed him because he slept with Tamar. And then, wait, wait, it gets worse. And then Absalom didn't stop at just plotting and premeditating a murder. Then he chose to overtake the kingdom to undermine his father's kingdom and just basically pull a coup and just say, I'm just going to take the government. Either, either, Dad, you give it to me or I'm going to take it. And so he just decided, I'm just going to take it. So he ran David out of Hebron. He took over Hebron, which is sort of the, the uh, capital city, uh, the, the seat of the government for Israel. His father decided not to fight him, so his father ran left his house abandoned, left some of his concubines behind, and then Absalom just started sleeping with David's wives. This dude was brazen. 
I mean, you know, he had really lost his mind. By the way, that's what I say about some of us, you know, when we were young, we did crazy things. So young people don't make some of the mistakes we made. But I think about that because remember the prodigal son? Remember when he came back home? The Bible says when he came to his senses, that means dude had lost his mind. And he got it. He got it. The Lord brought it back to him. I think sometimes people do stuff that they are out of their mind. Sometimes, obviously, it may be drug-induced or alcohol-induced. But sometimes young people, and even some of us old people, it's really bad when you turn 50, 60, and 70, and you're still doing some of the crazy, dumb things you did at 20, 30, and 40, right? Pretty much by 40, you should be done with foolishness. I know. It's right, but it ain't always the case. People still be trafficking in gossip. People be trafficking in backbiting. People be trafficking in character assassination. People be taking shots at people, drama, keeping confusion, just having toxic environments, just being angry and hating. It's just ridiculous. At what point do we just grow up and say, you know what, that's foolishness, and I'm not going to be a party to that? Well, sometimes it never happens for some people. I know people in their 70s and 80s that were still clowning. You know, at an age when they should have been teaching others how to straighten up. Don't be that person. Don't be bitter old man, bitter old woman. And don't be also the person that's 70, 80 and stuff and still passing gossip and, and trafficking and backbiting and sniping and jealousy. Don't be that person. Amen? Work overtime. Pray twice as hard to say, Lord, as I get older, help me to be kinder and gentler. Help me to be soft and forgiving. Help me to be more compassionate, more patient as I get older. Amen? Don't grow old and grow cranky. <laughs> I mean, we, we can't help getting older. Lord knows we can't help getting older. I, I was busy with Kia this weekend in Detroit, and I was looking at some pictures of, of the kids. When they were little, I thought, like, wow, look how skinny I was. Wow, look how much hair I had. Wow, it was all black. <laughs> and I was just looking at somebody and I said, wow, that's just unbelievable that I was ever 21 years old. That, you know, but you know what? I'm going to tell you something. The Lord gives us the ability that if we trust him as we get older, we may lose some of our youthful beauty and some of our, uh, our, our girly figures, and we may lose some of our... Uh, hair and everything else but God replaces that with wisdom with grace and compassion and he should replace it with kindness and forgiveness so that we can be a mentor amen amen find a way to be mentoring somebody and find a way to be mentored amen find a way to be giving something back and finding a way to still keep learning my mother 85 was just saying keep learning keep growing Never stop getting stronger in the Lord. Never stop getting deeper in the Lord. Don't think that you arrived because you've been saved 50 years. Amen? Some people just been in the church. I remember, I remember we had an old saying. We had an old saying that some, some, saints, some saints would say, some, some of the older saints would say, yeah, I've been in the way for 50 years. And somebody else says, yeah, you've just been in the way. Don't be in the way 50 years. Be in the way, W-A-Y, the way that Christians were once referred to as people of the way. Because Jesus said, I am the truth, the light, 
right? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. So we don't want to just be in the way. We want to be in the way, the way of truth, the way of light. Amen? So Absalom lost his mind, ran David out of his kingdom, and now David's uh, chief military officer, Joab, decides we got to kill this guy. He's never going to surrender peacefully. He's never going to come to his senses like the prodigal son. Of course, prodigal son hadn't been born yet, but he's never going to do this, so we just got to take him out. So it was a military strategy. They caught Absalom hanging in the tree because he had this long, beautiful hair, all these locks. Got caught in a tree, couldn't get down. There were some soldiers that were smart enough to say, we're not going to kill him because David said, don't harm his son. Joab said, had you killed him, I would have given you extra money plus a 10 changes of, change of clothes. He said, where is he? Absalom just killed him, took him right out, took him right out, beheaded him, buried him in a pauper's grave, treated just from royalty to, you know, you know how they say from rags to riches. Well, he went from riches to rags. And, um, and so someone had to tell David, hey, your son is dead. So that's where we are in the story. We're in 2 Samuel 18, where, or actually, yeah, 2 Samuel 18, where it's time to inform David that his nemesis, the insurrectionist, his son is dead. Who's going to tell him? Right? So that's where we're at. So watch this. The Bible says, then Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok, said in verse, I'm in verse 19 of 2 Samuel 18. Just if you'll put it up there. Thank you. He says, please let me run. And bring the news, bring the king news that the Lord has freed him from the hand of his enemies. But Joab said, You are not the man to carry news this day, but you shall carry news another day. However, you shall carry no news today because the king's son is dead. Let me just say something else to you guys. Don't be the kind of person that just likes to spread bad news and loves to see other people grieve and love to see other people people squirm don't be that guy don't be that gal that just want to be the person oh i can't wait to tell them that this happened and that or did you hear about what happened to that person don't don't be that person take no delight in someone else's pain and misfortune take no comfort in knowing that even your enemy is in trouble or in peril amen you know the old saying i looked it up because i just was just interested in this week uh, where the old saying comes don't shoot the messenger actually by the way i read everything from it came from socrates to shakespeare i read even george bush started i think like george bush wasn't even born uh, people have been saying don't shoot the messenger since bible times <laughs> so i read like where did this saying come it used to be by the way according to wikipedia and a couple other sources i read it used to be don't kill the messenger because it, back in the day i mean way back in the day it was considered treason to kill the town crier the person that was sent out to give the message to everybody you know before newspapers before the printing press there was a person that was just sent kind of like around town on a horse or whatever to shout the news of the day especially important events well sometimes people would be so upset by the news that they would take out the news bearer and that became a treasonous crime so maybe it started there but at some point in history way way back don't shoot the messenger eventually uh, don't kill the messenger eventually evolved into don't shoot the messenger so this whole idea of no one wants to be, no one should want to be the person that is a bearer or bad, bad news. Amen? 
I pray that none of you want to be like that. You guys on Zoom, you don't want to be that person that's always telling somebody how horrible things are for them and what, what the obvious is. Don't take delight in that. That's just not cool. Amen? There's some morbidity in that whole concept of wanting to see other people pain and, 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 and anguish go in anguish because of something you tell them. You should not want to do that. I'm a little bit ashamed of Ahimaaz, and I'm hoping that his motives weren't like that. The Bible doesn't necessarily reveal what was the driving force behind a guy wanting to go and tell the king that his son was dead when the king explicitly said, whatever you do to the insurrectionists, do not harm the boy. Don't kill him. Shame on Joab for just violating that rule. It was a direct disorder, a direct uh, disobedience of an order. On top of that, killing the king's son, even as bad as he was. Now, I don't know if this was, was the best thing to do, but David said, don't do it. Maybe there was a better way. But at any rate, Joab killed him, and he sent an African, a black dude. You say, Pastor, well, how do you know that? Because I looked it up. Cush means dark-skinned. It means Ethiopian. They were a, if you look at, uh, I think Joel, or Isaiah said that the uh, Cushites were tall, dark, smooth-skinned people. And they're in other places in the Bible, particularly in Jeremiah 38, the guy named Ebed-Melech, which I'll tell you about maybe another time. But I want you to know, I want you to know this. I'm a little ashamed of Joab, number one, for sending the black dude to, send, to take such a horrible message because typically a person that brought a message like that didn't come back. He said, Ahimaaz, no, you, you don't want to be the messenger on this one. You, you, you need to let me send somebody else. Why he chose the Cushite, why he chose this guy, I don't know. I won't be so brazen as to say it was because he was black or because he was a servant or because he was the low man on the totem pole where he picked a short straw. I don't know why Joab chose the Cushite to send the message, but he was chosen and not a Hemas. And the Cushite, the Bible doesn't say they argued at all. He got his orders and he took off toward David. There's just something to be said about not being argumentative and disrespectful of order and rank and authority. I give him total props for that. In spite, he was tasked with such a horrible job to have to go and tell the king, by the way, your son has been beheaded at the hands of your commander-in-chief, Joab. I don't know if he told him all of that, but you'll see what he told him in a second. But just the fact that I'm sure David pressed him for details. But watch this. This is a very interesting account, and then we'll let you go. I'm almost done. The Bible says in verse 21, Then Joab said to the Cushite, Cush means black or Ethiopian in Hebrew. These were dark-skinned people from northern Africa, and there were others that served God honorably, and I, I'm so proud of that. He said, Then Joab said to the Cushite, Go and tell the king what you have seen. So the Cushite bowed to Joab. I love that respect, that deference, and ran. He didn't say, why me? Why I got to go? Ain't there? Ain't you? Let him go. He wants to go. <laughs> I, I think that's what I would have said. Send Brother Cole. I don't want to go. <laughs> I don't want to go. Send somebody else. <laughs> 
the African brother just bowed and went. I just love this so much. The Bible says in verse 21 and 22, I'm sorry, verse 22. Now, Ahimez, the son of Zadok, said once more to Joab, but whatever happens, please let me also run after the Cushite. And Joab said, why would you run, my son, since you will have no reward for going? By the way, by the way, if you look at some other translations I read, I read uh, another translation that says, why would you go? This, this is the sermon title, Rod. This is a great sermon title. Why would you run when you have no tidings? Why would you run when you have nothing? And the word tidings there is actually translated good news or a good account. Why would you run when you have nothing good to say? What an indictment for people that just like to be a bearer of bad news, a bearer of tales and trash and innuendo and gossip. Why would you want to say something that could hurt another person, that could injure them, that could crush them? Why stick the dagger in and then twist it? I certainly challenge Ahimez's motives. Now, I don't know the whole story because the Bible only gives us what you read here. But I'm wondering, why was this guy so giddy about going? Maybe he wanted to go because he wanted to be the hero. You know how you have these people with a hero complex? I want to be first so I can get all the credit for bringing the news. Perhaps thinking that David would be pleased to hear that his son had been beheaded because he was hung on a tree. I don't know any father, <laughs> that loving father, the way David deferred to Absalom that would want and welcome that kind of news, right? What was driving Ahimaaz to want to take this message? It confuses me. And I, I pray that his motives were purer than I'm thinking. But I'm thinking either he's ego-tripping or he just wants to see David's reaction to such horrific news or he wants to get rewarded for being the first to let David know his enemy has been killed. That's just scary. Don't be that person, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, I know I'm repeating myself, but I don't I don't want you to be I don't want you to be that person. Yeah, go ahead, Jamie. I'll take a question. So you guys couldn't hear her on Zoom, but what Sister Jamie said maybe Ahimaz just didn't know uh, how David was going to respond or didn't know David's temperament very well. And if he didn't, then that's even more reason that he shouldn't have volunteered for such a dangerous <laughs> assignment. <laughs> If you don't know what you, listen, I've never been in the military, but I was in the Boy Scouts, and I learned the Boy Scouts, don't volunteer for nothing. <laughs> or if you're from Chestnut Street, don't volunteer for nothing. Don't, ex don't get yourself involved in anything. You don't know what the outcome could be. So, he, so it goes on to say, verse 23, but whatever happens, he said, I will run. So Joab said to him, run, run. Just go. Then Ahimez ran by the way of the plane and passed up the Cushite. Now, let me just say this right quick. My Aunt Ada used to say this. She used to say, Junior, they call me Junior. Uh, but you guys aren't allowed to do that. So she said, uh, just she said, she said, Junior, uh, she said, you need to know something. That sometimes the longest way home is the safest way home. In other words, don't always take the shortcut. Because the shortcut may not get you to your destination. The shortcut could be fraught with dangers and terror. Don't always think that the shortcut is going to get you ahead. 
The long way, she used to tell me, is the safest way. Never forget that. My aunt. May she rest in peace with the Lord. She's up there with my mom and my uncles kicking it. Probably listening to this sermon saying, dude, you got a lot to learn. Got a long way to go. Y'all right. But, uh, but you know what? I love this because he is taking a shortcut because he's so dead set on being first. You ever met those kind of people? They just had to win at no, at all costs. The Bible says in verse 24, I'm almost done. Now David was sitting between the two gates and the watchman went up to the roof of the gate by the wall and raised his eyes and looked and behold, a man running by himself. The watchman called and told the king and the king said, if he's by himself, there is good news in his mouth. And he came nearer and nearer. This is the Hemaz getting nearer and nearer. And then the watchman saw another man running. And the watchman called and said to the gatekeeper and said, Behold, another man running by himself. I'm in verse 26. And the king said, One also, this one is also bringing good news. Now, I don't know where David was getting this information from. <laughs> you know, be careful when you give, be careful. When, let me just say this. Be careful you, I'm talking to y'all now in 2022. Be careful when you say, God told me this. Or the Lord said this to me. Be careful. Because sometimes you can be lying on the Lord. The Lord ain't said nothing. Sometimes the Lord ain't said anything at all or he hasn't said that. Now, David didn't say that, but he's making these. He's so hungry. I can see David. He's grasping at thought, at straws. He's so desperate that somebody has some good news that Absalom is still alive, that he's just making stuff up. Well, this one is coming. He's bringing good news, too. Verse 27. Verse 27, the Bible says, The watchman said, I think the running of the first one is like the running of Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok. And the king said, This is a good man and comes with good news. He may have been a good man, but I question his motives, and he certainly wasn't coming with good news. Quite frankly, wasn't coming with any news at all. The Bible says in verse 28, as we wrap this up, Ahimez called and said to the king, all is well. And he prostrated himself before the king with his face to the ground. And he said, blessed is the Lord your God who has delivered up the men who lifted their hands against my Lord, the king. The king in verse 29 said, this is all David was caring about. Check it out. David said, is it well with the young man Absalom? In other words, uh, yeah, enough of the formalities, enough for all the frivolity, enough for all the salutations. I don't care about all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know how people say, long live the king, God bless the king, God bless America. Those are just platitudes, and <laughs> that, don't, that doesn't really mean anything, right? <laughs> it really doesn't mean anything. David was interested in one thing and one thing only. Will you tell me what is the status of my son Absalom? That's all I want to know. That's all I ask you guys to send me, information and updates on the status of Absalom. Sometimes, listen, as we grow in the Lord, sometimes we need to learn to focus on what's important to the heart of God. What's going to bring glory to his name, Sister Mary Favors? What's going to lift up the Lord? What's going to exalt him? What's going to be pleasing in his sight? What's going to bring a sweet-smelling savor to his nostrils? What can I do? What can I say that will glorify God? Not what I can do that promotes me. What, not, what, not what I can do that, that extends my brand or makes me more popular, makes me more successful, puts me in a better light. No, what can I say that lifts up the name of Jesus? 
that God receives the glory. May God be glorified. Amen? Mm. The king said, is it well with the young man Absalom? I'm in verse 29. And Ahimez answered, when Joab sent the king's servant, that's me and your servant, I saw a great tumult. I saw a great, a, a lot of confusion, a lot of activity was going on, but I did not know what it was. The king said, turn aside and stand here. So he turned aside and stood still. Can I interpret that for y'all in 2022 language? Let me tell you, let me tell you what, let me tell you how that would have went had it been, say, my aunt or one of my uncles. They would have said, Negro, get, 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 out, get out of my face. <laughs> get your nappy head out of my face. That's, that's what my aunt would have said. My aunt Sal and my aunt Ada and my aunt Irma and my mother. <laughs> get, boy, you ain't got, get out of here. You ain't got nothing to say. Get out of here. That's equivalent to what the king said. Stand aside. In other words, you know what? You stand on here because you don't have any information. You haven't told me anything that I don't already know. And that's not the information that I desire. Right? He was just running without a message. That's the title of the sermon. How many of our lives, how many of us are running with no message? How many of us are running with no content to our lives? How many of us are running and the God is not using us to his glory, where we're speaking volumes to the lost world, where we're building up the body of Christ by being a messenger, by being a herald, by being a, a town crier, giving good news, lifting people up, bringing them encouragement, bringing them joy, bringing them information that's peaceful, that's exalting, that's edifying. How many of us have a message to our lives that's making a difference to the world? This man had, listen, this man had nothing to say. He had nothing to say that the king was interested in. The king said, dude, stand aside, a.k.a. get out of my face. Get out of here. I need to know how is Absalom. That's all I care about. When it comes to God, all he cares, all he cares about is what, what is going on that brings me glory? What is going on that's going to make me, what is going on that's going to, that, that's going to promote the kingdom of God? What's going to move the needle? Amen? I'm almost done. I promise you. I know I've been saying that, but here's the end of it. The Bible says, then the king said, turn aside and stand here. And he turned aside and stood still. And verse 31 says, Whole, the Cushite arrived. That's the, that's the Ethiopian. The black man arrived. You know what? I don't. I, I've, I've studied this passage for years and years, but I went back over in the last two weeks in preparation for this sermon. Sermon, I thought like, how many, how many white guys outrun a black guy? <laughs> I know. I know. I had no right to go there. I was just playing. <laughs> I just don't no offense. No, hey, no, don't, hey, don't, don't worry. Justin has a black card. He's not. He's just a white guy in a black. He's a, a black guy in white. So listen, <laughs> listen. I thought like, how many black, how many black guys who get ahead start? <laughs> I mean, after the Cynthia, she's an Olympian. How many black guys will get ahead start and still lose? <laughs> well, that's exactly that's exactly what happens here. That's exactly, but, but listen, to the brother's, to the brother's credit, other dude took a shortcut. 
He knew, knew the terrain a little better. But I got a better answer. I got a better answer. You know what I think? I was thinking about this this week. You know what I think? I don't have any evidence to back it up other than what he said and David's response. I think it's possible that while the Cushite was running, that he's running and he's just possibly saying, Lord, help me, give me the words to say. Give me the way to say it. Give me how to say this. Lord, give me the tone. Give me the facial inflections. Help me say this right with kindness, with gentleness. Help me not get killed once I tell him the message. I mean, Lord, give me the wisdom. Give me the articulation. Give me the eloquence to give such a horrible message to such a powerful, emotional man that's already on the ragged edge emotionally. Lord, help me to say this right. Give me the words. Give me wisdom. Give me tact. Did you guys see my Monday morning moment? I wish I could take credit for that, but I can't. I think it was a killer Monday I got that Monday morning moment based on this. Did you all see the Monday morning moment? Okay, so y'all ain't reading the notes. I'm going to quit wasting my ink. But at any rate, the Monday, the Monday morning moment, the Monday morning moment was that someone has defined tact. Someone has defined tact, T-A-C-T, tact. Someone has defined tact as the art of, let me, let me just read so I don't misquote it, has defined tact as the, the knack of making a point without making an enemy. And this Cushite had tact. He had wisdom. He was wise. Someone has defined tact, that's the Monday morning moment, as the knack of, as the knack of making a point without making an enemy. I believe, I believe that there's a possibility, a strong probability that this brother was running and praying and asking God to help him give this information that would be both definitive but also compassionate. You know, we hear things about, hey, uh, tough love or say it, speaking the truth in love. You, we hear these terms tossed about, but that's exactly what this brother did. He gave a tough message in love, and it was what David needed to hear as we conclude by listening to what the guy said. He told the guy, the other guy, he has to turn aside, but the Cushite arrived in verse 31, and the Cushite said, let my lord the king receive good news, for the lord has freed you you this day from the hand of all those who rose up against you. Okay? So far, so good. Here's the kicker. And the king said to the Cushite, it is well, is it well with the young man Absalom? And the Cushite answered, we're in verse 32, verse 32 of 2 Samuel 18. And the Cushite answered, this is an excellent answer, ladies and gentlemen. Let the enemies of my lord, the king, and all all who rise up against you for evil be as that young man. Oh, my goodness. I think that's such a brilliant answer. He didn't quite say he's dead. He didn't say Joab killed him, Joab beheaded him. 
He didn't say he died a horrible death and was buried in a pauper's grave. He didn't say any of the gory details. He just said, King, may all your enemies and those that rise up against you be as this man. In other words, we had to put him down. He's gone. That's what David wanted to know. What's his life and death status? Is he alive or is he dead? He didn't ask for how, why, who, when, where he was killed. He just wanted to know how is the young man. And I thought about this for a while this week, prepping about running and running and how Ahimaaz won the race, but he lost the battle. He came, he, well, put it like this. Ahimaaz got there first, but he still lost. I, I read about this French dude. I, I, look, I, I read about this guy. His name is, I, want, I, I was so impressed. I want to look it up just so that you guys could, could know. There was a guy by the name of Wilhelm Belosian. He's a French Olympian from France. That a sprinter, too. He ran the high hurdles in the 2016 Olympics. This guy had trained his entire life to run in the Olympics and compete for gold. In 2011, the International Athletic Association changed the rules for sprinters. It used to be when a sprinter got lined up to run, if he false started, there was a warning issue to all the runners. Next person to false start is disqualified even if it's not the guy who did it at first. And so what would happen is some of the store runners started gaming the system. They would false start before the gun just in hopes that, okay, now the faster guys gotta be more cautious because they don't wanna false start because then they're out. So the International Olympic Committee caught on and I said, okay, in 2011 they changed the rule. It's been referred to as one of the cruelest rules in Olympics, if not all of sports. And it's called the one and done rule. You fall start one time, you go home. This guy was 21 years old. He ran in the 2016 Olympics. French sprinter, he was the, their nation's best. He had won the na national championship in the high hurdles. Prepared all of his life for this event. And at the Olympics in 2016, ready to go, according to the stories I read about three different accounts, he was a millisecond too quick and tripped the false start. I mean, and it's not determined by men. It's determined, Sister Cynthia will tell you all about this. It's electronically, it was on video. I watched the video. I watched this young man fall on the ground in tears just bawling uncontrollably, unconsolably, because it was over. He couldn't come back until 2020. And then, of course, as you know, the Olympics were canceled because of the pandemic. But so, so this guy had trained 20-some years, or, or however many years, to get ready. He was 21 at the time of 2016. And he was disqualified. And I thought about this. So I, so I thought about this because I went to 1 Corinthians and saw what Paul wrote. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 9, 24, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, 
but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. Run to win. Make sure your life and your message are a winner. It's not about who crosses the finish line first. It's, about who, it's not about who gets there first. It's not about who gets the credit. It's not about who gets the most credit. It's not about who gets the praise. It's getting across that. That's the one thing I love about the Lord. He doesn't say the first one to heaven wins. He just says, get there. Everybody's a winner. Everybody gets a crown of life. Everybody gets a crown of glory. Everyone whose name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life is a winner. This matter who crosses the line first. Amen? Can you imagine all the saints that have been living for the Lord and praying and seeking the Lord and, and serving the Lord and working to the Lord's glory? And then here the thief on the cross up there. And a couple hours say, Lord, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? Lord say, You cool, dude. You'll be with me today in paradise. Dude makes a deathbed, maybe minutes before he breathes his last, and he's in heaven. <laughs> What a great God we serve that says it don't matter if the it doesn't matter if the landlord hires you at six in the morning to work in the field or nine later at nine or at noon or at three. Even if he comes and gets you at 5 p.m. and the work day is over at six, you still get the same pay. Woo. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> What a mighty God we serve. I, I'm done. Uh, Paul says, so I purpose in my heart not to, uh, the new American, the new living says, so I run with purpose in every step. So Cynthia, you can relate to that. Sprinters work hard where they don't try to waste. Uh, you know, I, I went back a few weeks ago and watched, I watched Chariots of Fire, uh, the Eric Little story, and I was, I was listening to his coach, and he was saying that you have to make every stride. He said every stride. He said, if you're going to take short strides, you got to take more. If you're going to take longer strides, they got to be quicker because every step counts. We're talking milliseconds. And Paul, he didn't just invent that back, you know, in the 20 Olympics. The Bible says that Paul says, so I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. I make every step purposely count. I discipline my body, verse 27 of 1 Corinthians 9 says, I I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what I should do. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Might be disqualified. Tim's a world-class athlete. He knows. Tim, he knows. You, let me tell you something. You can win the... I, I've seen... I, I looked on YouTube the other day. I saw this video of a, of a relay team where the guy crossed the finish line first, but he didn't have the baton. <laughs> you, when you're on a relay team, you can't just cross the line first. If you ain't, if you drop the baton, if you forgot the baton, if you ain't got the baton, it doesn't matter what place you come in across the finish line, you are DQ'd. It's over. One and done. Saranara, see you. Later, you can't get disqualified. And Paul is saying, you know what? Run your life. Walk your walk. Live this life in such a way that you have a message, that you have something to say that builds a life, that builds a kingdom, that makes the message of Jesus Christ and the good tidings 
the gospel of Jesus Christ important to someone that your life matters. Amen? Don't get disqualified on a technicality. Don't get disqualified because you allow your life to fall apart and you live shamefully and you live recklessly and you live a, a, a bad, raggedy life and people can't trust your message because they can't trust you. So you disqualify yourself by living a life where your message has been compromised. Amen? All right, I'm done. I, I could go on. I, I see Sister Jamie has hand. Let me just say this. I'm sitting down, but I'm looking here at my notes. I want to talk about Jeremiah 38. I want to talk about Proverbs 4, 7. I want to talk about Ecclesiastes 9, 11. How did I leave out Ecclesiastes 9, 11? Talk you about see, it. Talk about it. not to the swift. The race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong. Amen. How could I leave that out? And where it says in John 8, 31, but it's the one that continues to the end. That's my disciples. This is a marathon. And I say that all the time. We're not in a sprint. You ain't got to be like uh, Wilhelm Belosian from France who, was, who lost because of a millisecond misstep. You are, we are running a marathon. And there is time for forgiveness. There's time for consideration. Amen? All right, I'm done. Sister Jamie, do you have a hand? Uh, can we just have some? I want get to get you on mic, uh, get you on uh, so that they can hear you at home. And we're, we're done here. This is just so good. This is such a great lesson. I pray you guys go back and read. I pray you guys go back and read 2 Samuel 18 and Jeremiah 38 about Ebed-Melech, who was another great Cushite, another great Ethiopian that did a great thing by getting Jeremiah out of that pit, by throwing down some rags and a rope and brought Jeremiah up out of the pit because he was sinking in sewage. He was sinking in you know what. And the Lord sent this Ebed-Melech, this Cushite, his name means servant of the king or slave of the king. We don't even know if that was his name. That was possibly his title. And the Lord gave him the mindset to bring Jeremiah up out of the pit, save his life, save the kingdom. Another Ethiopian serving the Lord. Let me tell you something. You can't go wrong being a servant. Learn to serve. Servants are God's favorite people because the Lord was a servant. Yes, ma'am. I'm sorry. I got a lot of, not a lot, but background <laughs> okay. to, to this question. So I, I love this book. I've read it so many times. And this, especially in 13, it's so troubling how, how Amnon yes. um, dealt with his sister, Tamar. Yes, yes. And Absalom, I think he went to King David and asked him to punish him. Um, David was a very bad parent. Him. Right. Yes. This, a lot of this, Sister Jamie, could have been avoided had David been a more proactive parent and dealt yeah. in a fair way, dealt with discipline that could have snuffed this out before it became a crisis. And, and I'm not saying that Absalom was right in any way. I know he took it way, way right. too far. Right. But was there a way at that time that King David could have consequenced or punished Amnon? I know he wasn't going to kill his son. Right. Because he wasn't, you know, David, right. very protective of his kids. But could he have punished Amnon or consequenced him without uh, killing him? Not, and uh, I can give you the answer right away. Not really. Okay. Rape was a capital crime. It was a okay. capital crime, and it was always met with death. If you remember going back to the uh, tribes of Israel, when, uh, when uh, I think it was Judas... 
uh, sister was was Le raped. Levi. Levi's sister, yeah, right? Dinah. Thank you. Yeah. Oh yeah, they dealt harshly with it. It was a capital crime. It wasn't like us. There wasn't no due process. It wasn't uh, you get your day in court? Right. It wasn't if you don't have an attorney, one will be assigned to you if he's a public defendant. No, if you were caught and somebody saw you do it or it was determined that you did it, that's all they needed. Y'all ever watch these episodes of Bonanza? There ain't no trials going on back at the Ponderosa. If, if Ben Cartwright said you did it, you did it. Right. <laughs> so, do you, so do you think that then Absalom just really used it? Because he killed his brother, too, right? Right, right. So did he use it as a way to, as excuse to go after David? Like I think it was I'm, all about David. Okay. I think this was all about David. He hated Not David so David. Much. much. And David deserved some of this. I've taught about this before when I taught you guys back in Genesis, some of the patriarchs, about the favoritism that some of these fathers showed. Yeah. That was deplorable. And it came back to bite them. Look what happened with, with uh, I'm sorry, Rosie, but I got to say it. It started back with Abraham yeah. and his favoritism toward Isaac. You know, how Ishmael was treated and Sarah wanted Ishmael. But everyone on, Jacob, the same thing with Jacob and his sons, his love for Joseph and and, and the uh, and Esau's, uh, Rebecca's love for uh, Esau, for Jacob and, and Isaac's love for, for uh, Ishmael. I mean, I'm sorry, um, Esau. Right. It, it just goes on and on and on. Moses got in trouble with his favoritism. A lot of parents make that mistake. Favoritism will hurt you. You can't do it. Amen? Amen. You ju it just will always come back and bite you. And David was no exception. Sorry, Rose. I had to bring Abraham in. Otherwise, Abraham was a great guy. Okay, Sister Jamie, do you yeah, have another no, one? That, that was it. It, it. it just, I was thinking about. Is there, would there have been another way? See, they didn't have prisons or right. penitentiaries where you could have just thrown Amon and uh, in, in prison for life for raping her. Right. They didn't have that kind of jurisprudence system. You committed a capital crime, which was basically uh, even horse thief, uh, horse theft was considered a capital crime. There were a lot of capital crimes that today wouldn't even show up on our government's radar. But back then it was, uh, it was received by capital punishment. Yeah. yeah, very good question. Sister Debbie, wait, Sister Debbie, one second. Let me get a mic to you. Let me get a mic to you. This is great. And, you know, I pray that you guys are learning something from these lessons on God using the unlikely. Because I'm going to tell you, most of us fall into the category of God using us as unlikely candidates. So I, I, take, great, I, take, I, I take great lessons and care from these lessons that, Lord, thank you for considering lowly people who may not have been born on the right side of the tracks. But you find a way to find us. You see us. You're searching for us. And you elevate us. And you empower us. What a blessing. You all, you all on Zoom, you should be encouraged by that. Sister Debbie, go right ahead. Yeah, well, it's a partiality, uh, a gender partiality, too, because it was like his daughter was overlooked. And is there anything historically on record, like what happened to her? Yeah, so, 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 so wait, say that last part again about? With, with Tamar, like what happened to her? I don't really see anything in scriptures. Is there any other records of what may have happened to her? Well, I'll tell you one thing that happened to her. After she was uh, raped uh, by, um, by Amnon, uh, she, he, was, he treated her like trash. He kicked her out. He, just, he really uh, basically scourged, scorched her. She was, she was considered damaged goods. And she, she, he even made her, he just belittled her. And it was, it was just, it, what he did was just, un, 
it was unconscionable what how he treated her and what the stigma of being raped publicly back then, especially being a king's daughter, that just had such a, a stain that the stigma for that was just horrible. So it was, you can see, like Sister James said, you can see to some extent Absalom's anger, why he would feel that way. You know, you could see the justification there. But Sister Jamie is right. The, the punishment was not commensurate with the crime. And it wasn't his place to execute the offended, the offender. It wasn't his place to kill Ammon. Yeah. And da right. And David, David really kind of messed up here. Because David could have pretty, pretty, David really could have uh, put an end to a lot of this. And the, I think the lesson in there for us parents is that we need to learn to make sure we're fair and equitable. And I think the other lesson is that let's not show any respect to a person. Sister Rosie, yes, ma'am. Wait, 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 just give me one second, Sister. Thank you, Sister Lillian, for doing this. This is amazing. We just went into a Q&A out of the sermon. I'm, I'm cool. Amen. Praise God. I just wanted to say that uh, I don't think there's no comparisons between David and Abraham because David was continually messing up. Amen. And Abraham was known as the father of faith. Amen. I, I, you you probably you probably right, and uh, I wouldn't have expected anything less, Rosie. But anytime Rosie can take a shot at David and give the props to Abraham, <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's all good. That's all good. Well, what a what a beautiful sermon. And um, so, the glory. If you haven't stopped recording, you can stop now. Let me just pray as we close, and then I'll, I'll be to give announcements and Tim pray for our giving. Lord, we just thank you.